Hey, y'all. From NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend to my listeners, to my guests. Also, happy new year. It is 2020. How do y'all feel about that? I am going to own this year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like glistening in the dawn of a new year. Those two voices you hear are my guests, NPR correspondent Chris Arnold. He covers personal finance. And Maria Godoy, senior editor and correspondent on NPR Science Desk and host of NPR's food blog, The Salt. But besides doing those two amazing things, uh, Chris and Maria, they are both also two of several hosts of an NPR podcast called Life Kit. Tell our listeners what that show is about. It's basically about using all our reporting knowledge to give you advice that you can actually use in your life to get your stuff together. I like that. Yeah. The cool idea behind it is like each of us is like hundreds of reporters at NPR, right? And we each know a little bit of the universe really well. Mm -hmm. And so at parties, people be like, how do you invest, you know, for your retirement account? You know, And that happens to be something I know a lot about. Yeah. So I know the best people to call and whatever. And there's a hundred other NPR reporters who are really who good at other stuff. Sets. And so boom. And the show helps you share it. I'm trying to think. Yeah. I mean, my biggest skill set is like how to maximize food delivery services and <laughs> how to spend 49 hours of your weekend binge watching Netflix. Nice. I, I can help with those things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, have you on? Uh, yeah, yeah. I digress. Um, I'm bringing both of you on uh, because, in the spirit of New Year's, we're going to talk New Year's resolutions. And not just resolutions for the new year, like resolutions for life. Uh, both of you have been digging deep into two big things uh, physical activity and exercise <laughs> and money. Yeah. So, knowing that, I'm going to um, have our panelists, as they always do, kick us off with three words. Not about the week of news, uh, but Maria is going to share three words on how to resolve to be a little more physically fit in 2020 and just in life. Um, my three words are all movement counts. All of it. All of it. No what about this? You see that? Does that count? That counts. That counts. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> this counts. This is like legit something yeah. I do all the time. I get up and down and do like chair squats. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I have gone full Jack Palance in the office and just done a like, you know, a push up or it. two. <laughs> I love it. Get pumped it. up. <laughs> yeah. So this is a really big revelation. And actually, I'm glad we're talking about it for New Year's resolutions because for so many years, like more than I can count, my New Year's resolution was like, I'm going to start exercising. And it just like didn't happen. You know, you go to the gym for a little bit, like a couple of weeks, a month, and then you just drop off because life gets in the way. Oh, yeah. And then in the course of my reporting, I've come across research that shows that really all types of physical movement has physical activities. And it just like reframed the way I thought about it. Yeah. And so like from a scientific standpoint, it, you don't have to like go running for 30 minutes or go spin class for it to count. Like literally like three minutes of movement can have health benefits. It's not going to make you huh. buff, but it can do things like improve yeah. your blood sugar levels, which if you're pre-diabetic is a big Deal. So, like, even just, like, parking at the end of the parking lot right. or taking the stairs up to your apartment. The reason I know that is because there's this really cool but geeky resource called the Compendium of Physical Activities. It's more for researchers to use. They use it to compare different types of exercise and how, like, the relative energy cost of doing different types of exercise, like apples to oranges. But basically, they use a value called a MET or a metabolic equivalent. And one met is if you're just sitting there doing nothing. An activity that, say, is two mets means it makes you work at twice 
your resting metabolic rate. So getting up and walking across the room is about two mets. So that is exercise scientist Loretta DiPietro, and she told me all about the compendium. She says there's lots of things listed in there, like mopping is three and a half mets. Ballroom dancing is almost eight mets. Wow. And in, in, in the episode... Um, sex was in there, but it was like way too low. I mean, I don't know how uh, these, it was like, what was the ranking on, on it? I, right. I think the uh. Met, the Met numbers for sex probably vary by individual and yes. partnering. And sort of time of nights, you know, yeah, time of day. Yeah. I right, will yeah. say I have pulled up this list of Mets and, and, and Met activities. Oh, good. Watching TV is 1.3 Mets. Yeah. Okay. So, so I don't feel so bad about no, it. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, okay. I hate to burst your bubble, Sam. The, there is a magic number for Mets to count as exercise and it's oh. three Mets. What but, if I watch two shows at once? <laughs> <laughs> if you watch them while doing jumping jacks, yeah, you're in. <laughs> okay, 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 yeah. But yeah. basically, if you start thinking about your physical activity this way, like it all counts, you can just sort of start moving it more. And there's lots of evidence that this can do things like improve your longevity, so like decrease your risk of dying from different causes. Oh, wow. Yeah, and there's like one study that found if you can push your exercise to like 10 or 15 minutes bouts, uh, like do them two or three times a day, that you could actually uh, get cholesterol levels and fitness levels similar to people who are just working out in one long 30-minute bout. Yeah. So then hearing you talk about this, Uh this idea of all activity being good activity and good for physical fitness, that approach to physical fitness is entirely antithetical to the New Year's gym resolution industrial complex. <laughs> yeah, because that totally is a is. framework in which you you get that gym membership, you go in, you sprain your ankle in the first week, <laughs> you hurt yourself on those machines, and then you quit. And like what I hear you saying is, don't go to an extreme. Just step it up bit by bit, step by step. Right. Like go big or go home is probably dangerous. And actually, from behavioral science, there's a lot of evidence showing that making tiny changes can turn those changes into habits, you know, because Mm -hmm. they can become part of you. It's like it's no effort. It's very little effort. Say I'm just going to take the stairs instead of the elevator. Right. And then you start doing that. And after a while, you can build up and be like, I'm going to take the stairs and maybe I'm going to take a 10 minute walk at lunch. And then you build up, you know, it's so it's it's really it becomes a habit. And then Mm -hmm. it's no big deal anymore, and then you can add on. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders, joined by two guests, NPR correspondent Chris Arnold. He covers personal finance for NPR. And Maria Godoy, senior editor and correspondent on NPR Science Desk and host of NPR's food blog, The Salt. I brought both of these distinguished colleagues here today on the show because they both also moonlight as two of the hosts of NPR's Life Kit podcast, which is a show full of useful, helpful advice on how to live a better life. Uh, Chris Arnold, you're up. You're going to give us three words on uh, saving and investing. So my three words are automatic. That's a huge word. I'll explain why. Roller coaster and index. Love it. And the reason the word automatic is important is because humans sort of evolutionarily, sort of behaviorally, we just, we suck. Can I say that we suck? Yeah. We suck (laughs) at saving money. We just suck at it, right? That's why the debt levels are high, credit cards, everything's crazy. I mean, because if it's there, we'll spend it. If it's there, we'll spend it. Humans with money are like dogs with food. 
If yeah. there's food around, they eat it. It exactly. doesn't matter if it's they're exact, full. Right. And Sometimes actually, they're going to eat money if there's money around. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the perfect example, actually, Sam, because it's like when we evolved, mm-hmm. we needed to be really good at, at prioritizing the presence yes. as behavioral economists yes. say. So, you know, uh, oh, there's food on the ground. We've got to get eat it. it. We've got to eat it. Yeah. But, you know, what it means is we, we do this thing called we discount the future. Mm. Yeah. So we think the future is worth less. Mm-hmm. And so- for that reason, you're going to focus on like doing the dishes in your sink instead of taking that half an hour to set up like a really good smart retirement account for yourself and like auto depositing no, in money. Chris, I'm going to do neither. <laughs> <laughs> That's short term rewards thing Maybe again. True. Yeah. yeah. But it, the the key to this is, and, and sometimes since you're going to do neither, the best companies these days automatically enroll you in a really really good default set. Of I do investments, two of right? these right now. Can I tell you? Yeah. Two. So, Yes, because they save differently. So like about two years ago, I realized, you know, I was well into my 30s and not saving enough money. And my good friend, our good friend, Megan Kane, uh, who produces LifeKit, she was like, there are apps that can help you save. And there are two that I use. One is called Digit and one is called Capital with the Q. And one of them takes out a set amount every week, but the other uses some magical algorithm. It knows what I'm spending and not spending, and it can see my bank account balance, and it pulls out based on what it thinks it should pull out. Whoa. But I have saved, and I'm not going to give you an exact number, but I have saved thousands of dollars. Well, that's another good example, right? Because you want to get... auto. So if it's automatic and it comes out of your checking account before you even see it, before you have time to spend it, I mean, that is the way to be successful. Because it's not like you're going to be like, oh... It's Tuesday. That's the day I'm supposed to write mm-hmm. a big check to this other account. I mean, we're mm-hmm. just never, it's not going to happen. Um, the entire UK did an experiment about this recently that they signed up the whole country for automatic savings. Really? 90 plus percent of people stuck with it. Really? It, it, yeah. And, and they're increasing the amounts that people are saving. Like if you, if you set people up for this, uh-huh. then it just boom, autopilot. So that's good for saving, how to just like take some money and put it aside. But what if you want to take that put aside money and invest it? Like, I have no idea how to do that. Okay, right. So being a reporter, sometimes you get to meet very, very cool, brilliant people who you would never otherwise get to meet. Uh huh. So I, years ago, said to do a story about just what you're asking about. So I, I wanted to talk to this guy who, well, here, I think we have him introducing himself. My name is David Swenson. I manage Yale's $29 billion plus endowment. My, my. I've done that for 33 years, and it's been a pretty good run. (laughs) Pretty good run. The reason, David, that Yale University has $29 billion is because of David Swenson. He's been there for, Hmm. he has the best track record of any institutional investor, any university endowment. He could go off and start a hedge fund and have made literally hundreds of millions of dollars for himself, probably billions. Instead, he's like, no, you know what? I like Yale University. I'm going to stay here and teach my little finance class to 15 students and make bajillions of dollars for for Yale. So this guy's awesome. And he's written a book on like how the little guy investor like, you know, us Mm -hmm. should be managing all this stuff. Right. So in the episode with him, we asked him like, okay, what, what are just some of the biggest mistakes that people make? And one of them involves my word number two, which is roller coaster. That's two words. Well, it's a hyphenated <laughs> word. Is that a hyphenated word? <laughs> Which dictionary are you using, Sam? <laughs> <laughs> um, point being, 
Roller coaster. Um, all right. So the stock market starts plummeting, right? You know, mm-hmm. you, you're invested. You got your 401k. And like family members will call me, especially when the big crash happened, right? I had my father-in-law and my mother-in-law. Like, should we sell everything? Should we mm-hmm. sell? And it's like, it's the human impulse, right? And the reason is we experience loss twice as intensely as we experience gain. And so we have this very, I mean, a lot of our instincts are totally wrong mm. when it comes to investing. So we want to sell David and I did this thing where, okay, we um, we looked at it this way. All right, David, let, let's pretend that we just got on a roller coaster and it's going up the big clickety clickety thing and we start crashing down and everybody's screaming and it, it is terrifying and we're going around a corner and we're pulling G's and you look over at me, David, and, and I'm trying to get out from under the bar and I'm telling you, David, I, I'm freaking out, man. I'm jumping off this thing. What would you say to me? Sit down and shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Don't jump off the roller coaster. Don't jump off the roller coaster. It's always going to be worse if you jump off the roller coaster. The only way you get hurt on a roller coaster is if you jump off. And and it's the same in investing, right? The stock market's always recovered. It always comes back up. So why would you leap off and be left in a ruined heap at the bottom? But that's what so many people end up doing. Don't give in to that instinct. But that's assuming that you like did your homework and invested in a good company to begin with, right? Like if you believed mm. in it in the beginning. That's a great segue because that gets us to our next word, which is you do not want to be investing in any one particular company because mm. oh. that's too many eggs in one basket, right? And oh. this is like this ridiculous big lie of Wall Street that we're about to get into here, which is that we're going to get some really smart guys with nice shoes and they drive Porsches and they're super smart. And they're going to pick the right stocks that are going to make the most money. So that that sounds pretty good, sounds right? Sounds real good. Yeah. But what's the problem with that scenario? I don't know, Chris. Tell me. <laughs> well, one problem is the Porsche. The other problem is the nice shoes. The other problem is the nice buildings on Wall ah. Street that these guys work ding, ding, ding. in. I got it. They're spending all your money. <laughs> <laughs> they're spending all your money. They're spending all your money. They're charging fees that eat up any amount of any, like any value gains. that they're at. Because yeah. it, it yeah. turns out that picking stocks is really, 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 really hard. And and only a few people can do it. That's why index funds are so much better because mm. the fees are super low. I talked to Jack Bogle before he died, who was just like a personal hero of mine. He started Vanguard, like, you know, created the first real index fund. And the idea there was like, Look, you can own a slice of all of corporate America mm-hmm. for super, super cheap. Own the whole market. And okay. don't buy the Porsche for the guy on Wall Street. Yeah. Don't pay for the fancy shoes. That's the way to invest. Automatic roller coaster index. Yes. This, you know, I've been hosting this show for two plus years now. And I got to say, these three words that I heard from both of y'all in this episode. Uh, have been the most useful. Cool. <laughs> so thank you for it. I really appreciate it. You can hear more of Chris Arnold and Maria Godoy on their fabulous podcast, Life Kit. Thank y'all for being here. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Sam. Listeners, after the break, I'm going to share some advice of my own. Recently, I did an episode of NPR's Life Kit all about how to have a good, relaxing, stress-free weekend. I actually convinced a listener to let me help her relax, and we ended up on a dog beach. I will tell you why after the break. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Zoom. What's a Zoom room? It's what your conference room is meant to be. 
With flawless video and audio conferencing, instant wireless content sharing from any device, and just one tap of a button to start a meeting, any space can easily become a modern, simple-to-use Zoom room. From tiny huddle rooms to executive offices to huge training rooms, and Zoom Rooms is effortlessly scalable, from a few rooms to a few thousand. Sign up online for a free 30-day trial of Zoom Rooms and meet happy with Zoom. Support also comes from Discover. Did you know that Discover matches all the cash back you earn at the end of your first year? Plus, it's automatic, and there's no limit to how much you can earn or how much they'll match. Millions of people a year are getting their cash back matched like rain falling from the sky. Cash back match only from Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash match. What does it take to start something from nothing? And what does it take to actually build it? I'm Guy Raz. Every week on How I Built This, I speak with founders behind some of the most inspiring companies in the world. NPR's How I Built This. Listen now. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. Today on the show, we are celebrating the new year with some help from NPR's Life Kit. Life Kit is the NPR podcast dedicated to helping listeners get their stuff together. Personal finance, health and fitness, parenting, workplace skills, etc. All kinds of NPR reporters contribute episodes to Life Kit based on their areas of expertise. Listeners, it is time for my Life Kit episode. So without further ado, we're going to present to you an episode of NPR's Life Kit from yours truly. This episode, I explain how to have a good weekend and actually relax. Because I'm very, very, very good at that. All right. Here we are in Redondo Beach. Come on. Come on. Come on. Oh, my God. That is me in Southern California with my dog, Zora, who just didn't want to walk too much that morning. Why is my dog with me, you ask? Because dogs can help you relax. Hi, how are you? I'm Sam. This Hi. is Zora. I'm like going to the dog instead of the person. It's <laughs> that's like okay. So that's how it works. That's Chloe Schofield. She responded to a call out from Life Kit a few months ago. We were asking to hear from people who have a hard time relaxing. And a lot of Americans have this problem. We picked the most stressed out person we found. And my task was to help them have one relaxing weekend with some tips from relaxation and self-care experts. We chose Chloe. Chloe has a job that can be very stressful. I'm a special education teacher in a middle school. Seventh graders that I teach, and then I run our leadership program, and I run our student council. Chloe told me she is usually in the office by 5 a.m. If your day starts at 5 a.m., when does it usually end on a workday? Like, realistically end? Realistically, five or six if there's no event going on. But you bring work home. How much work are you doing at home and how long does that take you? Um, I mean, depending on the day, it could take two, three hours if I have to, if I have to write like an IEP or a report. So on an average day, you're going 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. On a longer than average day, you're going 5 a.m. to like 7 or 8 p.m.? Yeah, that sounds about right. That's crazy. It is absolutely nuts. I said, Chloe, what are you doing to yourself? I don't need to put myself into a place where I'm thinking about what I need. Whoa, 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 wh
Do you hear yourself saying that? I do hear myself saying it, and I hear like Jonathan Van Ness being like, no, <laughs> but here I am thinking it anyway. Clearly, it was time for an intervention because taking care of yourself is important. You cannot show up for other people in your life, like your students, unless you first show up for yourself. So we began. I'm going to want you to put your phone on airplane mode. Are you okay with that? I am fine with that. <laughs> I will survive. Okay. Yep. Okay. <laughs> so I had Chloe tell herself something to start this weekend. It is actually recommended by research that we'll explain later on this episode. Think of this weekend as a vacation. Okay. So tell yourself right now, this weekend is a two-day vacation. Like, say the words. This weekend is a two-day vacation. Say it more forcefully. Okay. This weekend is a two-day vacation. How does it feel to say that? Weird. <laughs> Weird. All right. Here we are. We've made it to Huntington Dog Beach. We made it. We made it with two dogs. Two dogs. One is really excited. All right, let's get out and enjoy the beach. To get her relaxing weekend started, I wanted to get Chloe outside. Because, as we all know, nature makes people feel good. So Chloe and I headed to one of my favorite places on Earth, Huntington Dog Beach. It's about an hour south of Los Angeles. It's this strip of beach where all the dogs are allowed to just roam free for an entire mile. Hello, dog. This is like dog heaven. Yeah, like literally dog literally heaven. Literally dog heaven. Like, look at all those dogs that are across the street right now. How cute. Through total chance, the day that we got to Huntington Dog Beach, it was a very special day. They're in costumes. Is this a Halloween thing? Wait, what? I mean, ah, what? <laughs> Corgi Beach Day, more than a thousand corgis on that beach. And because it was October, they were in Halloween costumes. I could spend like 10 minutes right now just telling you how cute this all was. But we're not going to do that. We're going to leave the beach for a bit and talk with our first relaxation expert, Anna Borges. She is a senior health editor at Self, and she wrote a book all about how to relax and de-stress. Anna, hi. How are you? Good, good. How's it going? Pretty good. Really nice to talk to you. You are someone who's become an expert on a topic I hold near and dear to my heart, <laughs> relaxation. <laughs> so your book is called... The More or Less Definitive Guide to Self-Care. And there's a portion near the front that defines what self-care is not. What is not <laughs> self-care? Oh, my gosh. I will start by saying self-care is not selfish. A lot of people uh, feel guilty for dedicating time yeah. to taking care of themselves and to, you know, to look after their own mental health. But at the same time, it's come to mean so many things that people will slap self-care onto any behavior that they uh -huh. have as an excuse to do whatever they oh, want. Yeah, and yeah. I um, dined and dashed. Self-care. <laughs> Self-care. Yeah, like I canceled all of my plans and isolated myself from the world. Self-care. <laughs> um, so it's a definition that you have to have to build over time. Oh, yeah. Well, because like some of the best self-care is one, free, and two, away from your phone. Sometimes mm. the self-care you need is like just to put your phone down, unplug. Right, which is so hard. That's easier said than done. Like... Something that kind of grinds my gears is that people pretend it's easy to unplug. Like, uh -huh. yes, like, you know, take a day, go social media free, which is, I don't know, as someone who's on the Internet all the time, more stressful than anything. Oh, yeah. So I've kind of ascribed to the, the lifestyle of like screen life balance rather okay. than trying to go completely off the grid for yeah. a day at a time even. Hmm. I like that. Like a few hours in your day where it's no screens. 
Exactly. Or yeah. like, you know, setting rules for it. Like I'm a big person, like I can check my texts um, or my email like once an hour at this mm-hmm. time or like I heavily utilize the do not disturb button so I can check it when I think of it, but I'm not pulled away from the moment every time my phone buzzes. So that's your first takeaway. Schedule some screen free time, an hour, an afternoon, maybe even a whole day. See what happens. See how you feel. We had Chloe put her phone on airplane mode out there at the beach, just like Anna suggested. And then before we began gallivanting with the dogs and the corgis, we tried something else that Anna recommended. One of my favorite things to do um, when I need to get in the self-care mindset but would either rather be working or think I should be working is I do what's called just like a brain dump and will take a couple minutes to write by hand or type if if that's really what, what works for you. Everything in my stupid brain that's screaming for attention just to get it down so I don't feel like I'll forget it. I'll be like, okay, here is everything that I need to deal with later. Get it all in one place, get it out, dump it out. And for me personally, that quiets the voice a little bit. So I did this with Chloe at the beach. Reschedule parent meetings. Write reports. Set up lessons. Got a lot of laundry to do. Grade tests. Rewrite tests. There's a lot of dishes to get done. That'll probably be on the list at some point this weekend. After that, Chloe wandered in the sand with the dogs, phone and to-do list free. Chloe told us sometimes, even when she's off work, trying to relax, trying to do nothing, Her brain sometimes feels like it's still in overdrive. So I had to try something else that our expert Anna Borges recommended to help quiet all those runaway thoughts. One of the techniques that I actually do use is what I call like the five senses meditation. So we're going to bring our attention to each of the five senses one at a time. Um, And each time we will notice one less thing. So I want you to start by noticing five things around you that you can see that maybe you wouldn't normally take the time to notice. I had Chloe do this on the sand. Um, I see Catalina. I see the water. I see some dogs playing. I see a very persistent paddleboarder. Um, I see waves. So yeah, next, you know, take the time to notice four things that you can feel. I mean, the water is cold, man. It's not. <laughs> it's not warm, but it's like refreshing. It's not like a, I'm gonna die of frostbite. It's not like. Jack and Rose in the ocean. It's like us here and it's, you know, it's refreshing. We have things that you can hear. Uh, I'm hearing the waves. I'm hearing uh, dog parents talk to their dog children. Um, I hear collars rustling uh, and a big splash of a dog jumping into the water. And the next, it's three that you can smell. The seawater one thing that you can taste. I feel like the salt in my mouth. Um, So yeah, five things that you can see, four that you can feel, three that you can hear, two that you can taste, and one that you... No, I did that backwards. That's the point. Whatever Whatever order you want to do the five senses in, just count them down. Okay, so that's your second takeaway. Help yourself stay in the moment. Do a brain dump, maybe do the five senses meditation Give your mind cues that it's time to relax and not think about work. Are you sometimes confused by the economy, befuddled by the financial system, troubled by the trade war? We are here to help. With a daily 10-minute briefing on economic news of the day, NPR's The Indicator from Planet Money. Listen now. Listen now. 
I'm Sam Sanders. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. This weekend on the show, I teamed up with NPR's Life Kit. That is the NPR podcast dedicated to helping listeners get their stuff together. So me and Life Kit, uh, we did a how-to guide on how to have a good, relaxing weekend. And in this episode, I'm helping out listener Chloe Schofield do just that by not thinking about work. This weekend is a two-day vacation. Say it more forcefully. Okay. This weekend is a two-day vacation. So we have some neat findings where we find that those who simply went into the weekend treating it like a vacation Mm -hmm. were happier on Monday. Cassie McGillner-Holmes is an associate professor of marketing and behavioral decision-making at UCLA's Anderson School of Management. And her research about happiness and time is our third takeaway, which is treat your weekend like a vacation, even if you're home on your couch. The reason is, yes, there were some behaviors that changed. So they stayed in bed a little longer cuddling with their (laughs) special someone. Um, They spent a little more time eating. They did spend a little less time on housework and work. But the real driver actually seemed to be their mindset across Mm. these activities. So they were more in the here and now, okay. um, more connected to the present moment. And so when you think about yourself on vacation, what you think about is like, ugh, just sort of being. It's like yeah. finally taking a breath. Time you know? kind of stops a bit. Kind of, yeah, it, like, it slows down. Yeah, it slows down and we yeah. allow it to slow down. But you know, people that will be hearing this, they do like I do on many weekends where you say, Saturday you can have playtime, but Sunday you got to catch up on work. And then you end up doing this thing where you try to arrange your weekend in a way that optimizes your time. Yes. So it's less about enjoying the moment. It's more about how can I be the most efficient during these two days? That should actually just be downtime. How do we fight that? But you know what? I actually think it's okay to carve out part of the weekend for those to-dos, but minimizing it into a particular amount of time so that it's not sort of bleeding over into everything. You know, there's this idea of the Sunday scaries, that anxiety Mm -hmm. of, you know, once the uh, afternoon comes on Sunday, you start getting anxious about what's to come. Yeah. 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 And if you actually plan something that is fun to do so Mm -hmm. that it forces you out and ways of spending time that are good for happiness, Uh social connection, as well as active leisure. So getting outside and doing something. So what that actually says is, you know, make a date to go hiking with your friends Mm -hmm. on Sunday afternoon or into Sunday evening such that it pushes off the anxiety. It elongates the weekend into make use of those full two days. All right, that is takeaway four. To get the most out of your weekend downtime, plan something fun for the end of your weekend. Avoid those Sunday scaries. So knowing that, Chloe and I embarked on day two of her weekend vacation full of relaxation. For this day, I took Chloe to a park, and I had a few of her friends organize a picnic with games. Hi. How are y'all? I had Chloe meet me at Barnsdall Art Park in Los Angeles with three of her friends. They brought tacos. I brought some wine and cheese and a picnic basket. All of us brought games. I brought Giant Connect 4. Y'all brought... Uh, what is it called? Boing Long ball? ball. Long ball. Long ball. Long ball. Our self-care expert, Anna Borges, actually recommended this kind of gathering so that Chloe didn't fall into that pattern of talking work 
on the weekends. One thing that people don't realize is that when you're a busy human, like so many of your hangouts wind up with the emphasis on talking about work or talking on just catching catching your friends up on your life. And so even reframing your hangouts is like not opportunities to catch up, but as opportunities to make new memories and like learn more about each other um, helps a lot with that. Um, Because when you're so busy, hangouts just turn into an info dump. So like, Mm. even if it means like returning to like cheesy get to know you questions that you normally would talk to new friends um, about, or, you know, doing activities together, kind of cheesy, but that's my my go to. That is takeaway five. When you're spending time with people you care about on the weekend, do not just make it a catch-up meeting. Make memories by doing some activity or ask questions that go beyond, how was your work week? So with that in mind, I asked Chloe and her friends to not talk about work. I gave them some potential discussion topics. What did you wear to prom? How was it? What was your worst first date? What was your favorite movie as a teenager? So, like... Think of some questions that you all can ask each other about your earlier lives, about just you as people, and talk about that and not about work. Do we accept this challenge? I accept accept the challenge. It worked. We all hung out for close to three hours in the park, playing games, eating food, having a few drinks, and not talking about work. After that, I let Chloe go, sent her on her way, hoping that she would use some of those relaxation tips all the time without me. About a month later, I called her back to check in. Hi. How long? It's been a while since we talked. Has it been like a month since we had that weekend together? I'm pretty sure it's been, yeah, I would think a month. I asked Chloe to reflect back on that weekend we had, just relaxing, and the word she used to describe her feelings when it was done was accomplished. Chloe said she felt like her weekend contained, you know, weekend stuff people should be doing, as opposed to just catching up on sleep or catching up on work. I also asked Chloe how much of this stuff she's kept up. Okay, so the positive answer is I've kept up with some of the things. Okay. Uh, The real answer is that I've only done them a couple times. Which ones did you do? So I've done the in-place meditation and I've done the not talking with friends about work thing. The not talking with friends about work thing has been more consistent, I would say. But Chloe is totally selling herself short here. She has done something else that is really helping her out with her weekends. I just leave my computer at work. Like, I'm not bringing it home. I'm not, like, responding to anything. I haven't downloaded the Outlook uh, app on my phone in, like, a month and a half. Wow. So that is positive. I'm proud of you. I am. Thank you. Listener, I am proud of you, too, for taking these 20 minutes or so with me to think about how to be good to yourself and relax and de-stress. I'm saying this from me to you. You're worth it. Take time for you. I give you permission. Thanks again to listener Chloe Schofield and the team at NPR's Life Kit for putting that together for us. You can hear my full guide on how to have a good weekend in the Life Kit podcast feed wherever you get your podcast. All right, listeners, we're back next week with our regular smegular weekly wrap on the news, on the culture, on the fun stuff, and, of course, your best things. For that segment, we need you to help us out with that. Every week, we want listeners to share with us the best thing that's happened to them all week. That's you. Record yourself on your phone telling me the best part of your week and send the audio file to me 
at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. You could be on this show. I'd love to hear you. Okay, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. Happy New Year. Talk soon. <laughs>